This is a Retail Insider Podcast. You're listening to The Weekly. Welcome to this week's episode of The Weekly by Retail Insider. This is Lee Rivett, and I'm joined with the Editor-in-Chief Craig Patterson to discuss this week's most read articles on retail-insider.com. We're currently recording on November the 13th, 2019, and we just wanted to mention one of our advertisers, JLL Canada, as they're supporting this podcast for the week, and we'll be having a brief message from them later on in the podcast. So thanks for joining me, Craig. Hello, everyone. Excellent. Well, our first most read article has to do with KitKat. Now, for any of us that have gone through a Halloween chocolate season, we know exactly what the KitKat bar is all about. But it looks like the Toronto area is going to be getting a flagship at the Yorkdale Shopping Centre. And Craig, you had the pleasure, which I'm very jealous about, of going to the media opening of this at the Yorkdale Shopping Centre. So tell us a little bit about it because I am dying to hear all about it and so is my taste buds. Yeah, really, really interesting actually. It was a lot more interesting than I expected. Uh, So KitKat has actually opened basically a brand activation retail space at uh, Toronto's Yorkdale Shopping Centre. You can make your own KitKat you go in it's flashy it's exciting it's interesting and i think it's the future of um in some respects retail generally uh for for those retailers you know that are going to survive yeah and we have spoken about other experiential retailers like dyson's demonstration centers but it's KitKat. it's the chocolate bar that we've all come to know and love especially over the like halloween season so i'm super excited to find out about how the media event went and how that experience unfolded for you But also, I'm very excited to find out if you think other chocolatiers are going to be following in the same footsteps, which I thoroughly hope so. Quite possibly. Um, And the reason I say that again is, uh, you know, this is a brand that's trying to connect with the consumer by creating an interesting experience. And I think KitKat nailed it on all fronts, you know, and I can be critical of these types of concepts. Uh, I mean, you walk in there, it's bright. Um, they have an area that you can sit and uh, you know, have an Instagram photo oh, taken yeah. with your latest creation. Oh. They actually have like these marble tables where you can also display what awesome. you've had custom made for yeah. you. Um, they've got, uh, what do you call that? The um, It's like an airport sign that's uh, oh, flipping the around. the departure boards, like in the movies, right? Yeah, departure yeah. board. That's right. Yeah, no, really interesting. They'll do customization. They also have a chef's table. Um, it's the only one in the world for a KitKat experience because there's a few of these around the world. Um, they are in, I think it's Melbourne, Australia. Um, I think there's one in Johannesburg. Oh, cool. Um, there's a few of them. Uh, I think London, there's a few of them around the world. I'll actually have to check that. I haven't uh, <laughs> done my full uh, research yet. I will be doing that later on. Oh, awesome. But um, it's a chef's table. So you actually sit down. Four people can sit mm. there. It's $45 yeah. a person. And um, Chris, who's the uh, chocolate uh, guru, um, he will uh, walk you through the process of what chocolate is, how he does it, and uh, we'll make uh, custom made things and they've got certain ingredients there that you can only get at the chef's table you can't mm. get it um, unfortunately when you you know get oh, the custom made uh, cool. Cats yeah. uh, at that location well it seems really exciting especially if it's a more of an international phenomenon I'm going to be in Johannesburg in January so I definitely would like maybe take a look to see if there's anything special there but yeah like for myself it looks like there's 20 or 2,000 different flavor combinations that you can do with the 16 premium ingredients so I'm more of a straight up Kit Kat kind of guy myself and when I was in Japan I loved the green tea version of it but it just looks like a great experience oh yeah I mean I just finished eating uh, mine uh, about a half an hour ago and it was really interesting it was a white chocolate um, Kit Kat bar larger than normal I think about twice the size mm. it had um, rose petals um, mm. shortbread cookies Oreos it was 
wow. honestly delicious. Uh, uh, they are the custom made Kit Kats for anyone wondering are I think they're eight dollars each. I'm not sure if the price varies that much, but uh, you know, obviously a little bit more than your yeah. typical Kit Kat bar. But yeah. um, it the experience alone is worth it. I think that place is going to have lineups, people trying to get mm. in. Uh, and I say that genuinely. I I was there for a media preview, and awesome. uh, yeah. they were constantly people that they were having to turn away because technically you know open uh-huh. on thursday so uh-huh. uh like i said I, I think that this is a really great addition to the yorkdale shopping center yeah. it's in a wing that is a little bit quieter in terms of foot traffic i would say not for long i guess santa's up the hall too so you know be a little uh-huh. busier this time of year but yeah, um yeah. i i think that well i i did speak to some of the uh, executives from nestle and they were saying that you know if this works they'll look at rolling it out into other parts of canada and just given how many people were being turned away trying to get in I think it's going to be a huge hit. I agree. And I also think the timing of this opening by Kit Kat was also very well crafted because we just made it through the Halloween season, which is typically a high chocolate affair. So, but you don't necessarily need to be customizing all of your trick-or-treating candy that you're giving out with 16 premium ingredients where Christmas, hopefully you're customizing your gifts that you're giving out. So 16 premium ingredients make sense for that, as well as afterwards, Valentine's Day for your sweetie. Absolutely, yeah. And they've actually got candy cane. Like I think throughout the year, they'll have a few different ingredients that they'll, uh, again, keeping everything new and fresh, they'll have uh, candy cane. Not my favorite thing personally, but oh. uh, some people must like it because <laughs> they make it. Mm-hmm. Um, what I think is really neat, I thought about it when I was there and I thought, you know what, this is an exciting brand activation. I think it's going to create consumer loyalty. Mm-hmm. And I also think it's going to result in a, a bit of a bump in sales say at your local corner store for a regular Kit Kat. I just think that uh, mm-hmm. when something like this yeah. is done well, uh, people will remember the brand. And oh, I mean, yeah. it's pretty hard to forget Kit Kat after that experience. So oh, yeah. um, I, I think it's brilliant. And I am suspecting that other brands, not necessarily in the candy sphere, but you know, I think that this is the future of uh, experiential retail. I encourage people if they're at Yorkdale in Toronto to go and check it out because I really had a lot of fun there and, and so did Jessica. She's not with us to end the show today. And now a quick word from our sponsor, JLL Canada. What is your ambition? Visit jll.ca to see how JLL can create rewarding opportunities and amazing spaces around the globe where people can achieve their ambitions. And our second most read article of the week was the Retail Insider Brief. Now, for those of you that do not know what a Retail Insider Brief is, it's a Reader's Digest of all the different Canadian retail news that has happened that we haven't had a chance to put into a full-fledged Retail Insider article, but we wanted to still report on it anyway. Now, when we were preparing for this week's topics for the podcast, we were looking through all of our articles as well as looking at this brief. And when you look at the brief itself, there's probably about five to 10 mini articles in the overall brief itself. And the first one was to do with a food hall that had opened up in Quebec City that, uh, you know, we wanted to potentially talk about. But the topic between Craig and I diverged into an overall rise of the food hall and grocerons discussion, which was kind of interesting. So we wanted to bring that to the podcast. Now, my first experience with uh, a grocerant or food hall in Canada was when I was working in Calgary and came across Sunterra Market. Now, we did report on them back in October, but their first location opened up 30 years ago. And that was in Calgary in Bankers Hall back in 1990. But the idea was they went and hired a chef and went and did the whole food prep crossed with a deli counter kind of concept. But 
they were basically told at that time that that model of a business wasn't going to be sustainable, it wouldn't work. So it's interesting when you fast forward through to 2019, where you have places like Italy opening up right now. Soon we'll be having places like Time Out in Montreal opening up. But it's a very different kind of environment now versus 30 years ago. So Craig, what's your thought on that journey that we've gone through from Bankers Hall all the way through to Italy and now Time Out soon? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because um, we're seeing uh, quite a few grocery or grocerants, I should say, and food halls opening in Canada. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, Quebec City just opened one last week at Le Galerie de la Capitale. Um, Italy has opened in uh, Toronto uh, as of November 13th. Uh, on November 14th, the timeout market uh, spanning 40,000 square feet uh, uh, opened in Montreal. So, you know, another, these are two downtown um, food experiences. I want to say, Italy, I think we'd be called a grocerant. Time out market is a food hall. Uh, multiple vendors, uh, primarily, I think, a place to eat. Uh, but yeah, across the country, there are a few others as well. Um, you mentioned uh, Santerra when I worked in downtown Edmonton years ago as a student. I uh, would go there quite a bit. And uh, it was almost, I mean, it was certainly one of the first um, grocerant concepts. Because if you think about, you know, you would go to your local Safeway or your local, you know, superstore, typically they wouldn't have seating areas. But I have started seeing that a little bit more. I noticed I was in a superstore a few months ago that had an area where you could sit down and eat pizza. So. Um, studies have shown that people kind of like that casual dining experience. You can go in, you can eat casually, you don't have to tip servers. I mean, you know, I think, by the way, you should always tip your servers, but in this case, you're serving yourself quite often. So not to encourage people not to, uh, you know, deal with wait staff. They're very important to our economy and as well as people. Uh, but no, I, I think it's really quite interesting. I think we're going to see a lot more of these across the country. Um, you know, uh, coast to coast, Vancouver is going to have one at the post in downtown uh, Vancouver yeah, uh, right. in a couple of years. Oak Ridge Shopping Center and Brentwood, uh, the amazing Brentwood and suburban Vancouver, they're both going to have food halls as well. And for our listeners that may not be up on terminology, what's the difference between a grocerant and a food hall? Yeah, I mean, a grocerant would be primarily uh, a grocery store that you could eat in. So it's primarily, and not always, because it's where it gets confusing, because, you know, Italy does have uh, various vendors, but, you right, know, right. I think it's a bit of a blended experience. But, uh, uh, you know, in the case of, say, Santerra, you know, it is Santerra serving that food. And, uh, yes. you know, you're eating there in that store. But in the case of some of these food halls, you'll often have, like, we'll say, for example, uh, you know, at Square One in Mississauga, they'll have many different little vendors in there that you can go to and you can, you know, either eat there and, the st- you know, in the food hall or you could bring the food home and it's almost more like a, maybe a St. Lawrence market or a um, Granville Island in Vancouver uh, type of experience but kind of brought indoors and, and you know probably is you know not hundreds of years old <laughs> like like those are uh, yeah. if that makes uh, any sense. Well then what's the difference between a food hall and, and a food court? Well, yes, and, and that's another good question because we've seen, maybe I won't name names, but we've seen a couple of uh, food courts calling themselves food halls. And, um, you know, it is, I suppose, semantics, but, you know, a, a food court would be t- typically, you know, seating in the center uh, or, or, you know, certainly around, you'll have different vendors. Typically in a food court, you're not going to see, I don't think, as many, you know, independent more unique concepts certainly they'll be there i definitely am not saying that's not the case but um you know food halls are a little bit more of an elevated you know urban experience Uh, perhaps few you know more independent retailers are in there as opposed to you know mcdonald's and subway and uh, you know your local you know whatever chinese uh ito japan all, all of these uh uh, you know, vendors that you might see in a in, deep fried stuff. Yeah. And you're in your local, you know, your food court and your local mall. Um, like Subway and Julius Caesar and those kind of caliber <laughs> folks, or, I guess. Yeah. 
Yeah, but in Vancouver, what I'm finding is that I'm looking over at your kind of direction <laughs> at Italy opening up and as well as like Time Out that's opening in uh, like Montreal. And we're kind of light or dry on the kind of food hall grocerants going on in Vancouver of the 40,000 square foot variety that you guys are seeing. So when we saw the Post article, I was very excited for downtown, but I hadn't heard a lot about Oak Ridge and Brentwood. Yes, I mean, Brentwood's going to have a food hall. I think it's opening in, in sometime in 2020. I actually, I'm going to be visiting and, and check it out. But, um, you know, certainly it's not open yet. But yes, Brentwood is going to um, have one. Uh, the Oak Ridge Shopping Center, which is going to be a uh, mm. world-class destination uh um, very excited to see it when it's done. I think around 2022 or 23. Uh, no, sorry, 25 or 26. I'm getting mixed up with Royal Mountain Montreal. Um, you know, again, they're going to have a chef-driven uh, food experience center. Um, that sounds like it's going to be very interesting. And when I mentioned Royal Mount, that's in Montreal. It'll be kind of almost a city of the future, a shopping center with housing and other uh, mixed uses. And um, it again will have a food hall. So I wonder if they'll get Italy because Italy said they wanted to be in Montreal. Um, who knows? Uh, totally just speculating there. And with the exit of like Target as well as um, Sears Canada from the marketplace, I'm also finding that it's great, but that these landlords are able to use things like food halls and grocerons as a tool to kind of help with filling that space or creatively looking at how to address it without necessarily finding a huge honking kind of you know retailer to fill it. That's right, but um, not all food halls are going to be a hit. There's some predictions that in the United States some food halls will close, and actually there's already one in Chicago. It was open for you know not too long in Fulton Market and competition. Uh, uh, you know, coupled with an, a bit of an awkward layout has led to its demise. Mm. So um, I don't I'm, that's not an issue in Canada currently, I don't think. But, you know, I've heard at Upper Canada Mall in Newmarket that a few vendors have uh, closed. I don't know all the details around that. But, um, you know, food halls ideally should be, you know, busy places that are driving traffic to the shopping center in general, if it's connected to a shopping center anyways. So, um, you know, I've been very excited about these concepts, but uh, they're not always going to be successful. So I, I think it really just depends on you know on the mix of vendors that are in the food hall its location how it's laid out is it easy to get to is it a place that you know you can navigate uh, uh, all of those have to be in place you can't just plunk a food hall down in an awkward retail space you know that's in the middle of nowhere and expect it to succeed yeah when I was visiting in January I remember the um, Toronto McEwen on Blur Street that was connected to the TCC station had the opportunity for a lot of traffic from multiple fronts but what was the location in the basement of the Bay Sachs store yeah Positive at Saks Fifth Avenue, oh, right? yeah, that's it. Yeah, I totally forgot the name. But yeah, like when we were visiting in, I think it was January, it was uh, like busy. Like it, you couldn't even find a place to sit down to eat the food that you get from one of their vendors and stuff because it was so, so much traffic flowing through. So that looks like a very good example of high traffic and success for that retailer. Absolutely. Um, yeah, Pusateri's at Saks Fifth Avenue is busy. I think more than 50,000 people a day pass through on the um, path pedway that's connected to it. Yes. McEwen's yeah. um, is quite a bit quieter, I found. Um, I live in the area, so I, I, you know, pop it in and out now and then. And um, it remains to be seen. I mean, it's it's fairly pricey. It's its layout is a little bit unusual. I mean, hopefully people are, are going to embrace it with time. But with the opening of Italy, um, 
Well, and plus there's five we'll grocery see. stores in the neighborhood already. There's a lot of competition, so it remains to be seen. I mean, Whole Foods, we've got Longo's, uh, you know, Bloor Yorkville has a, has a lot of different food options for groceries. Mm, right. And yeah. restaurants. Uh, wasn't there like an assembly chef hall that was in Toronto as well? Yes, that's in the Google building, 111 Richmond Street. Uh, interesting because they have some of uh, the better known restaurants in Toronto that have actually set up concessions in there. So uh, it's a really interesting environment because, uh, you know, you've got these different vendors in there. It's got uh, uh, all kinds of seating and they've got a gigantic outdoor patio, which is not very this helpful. time of year would not be, be something. For Santa. <laughs> no, no, but, you know, certainly in, uh, yeah, no, in the summer, I, I sat out there with the group from connects and uh, it, it was great I, I thought it was a really wonderful experience mm. and any final thoughts on the rise of the whole concept of grocerants and food halls in canada before we move on to the third article um more just like is this kind of the way of the future for the canadian marketplace and and what's going to happen going forward i think so i mean ultimately it's all about the retail experience and food halls are highly experiential uh people are drawn to food you know, people are taking photos of their food. Landlords are looking for, you know, tenants that are able to pay rent as well as drive traffic. So, you know, in the case of a shopping center, a food hall may make sense because, you know, we're seeing fewer traditional retailers leasing space right now. In some cases, some retailers probably have too many locations. So um, I know for sure, you know, Cadillac, Fairview and Oxford Properties and Ivanhoe Cambridge, they're looking to increase their square footage dedicated to food and beverage options. So that's why we're also seeing more full-sized restaurants and shopping centers. Uh, you know, if you think in years past, maybe your shopping center had one you know, restaurant, maybe it was like a, a Smitty's or something like that. I just remember from when I was a kid, but you know, now you're seeing these gigantic, you know, Moxie's keg, cheesecake factory at Yorkdale, uh, Bubba yeah. Gump shrimp at West Edmonton mall. Although West Edmonton malls always had large restaurants. It's, it was kind of ahead of its time. If you think about it. Oh, oh and before we move on to the other articles, um, in the brief, because we were looking through for the food hall and that kind of started this whole conversation, but there's other topics in the brief that I wanted to highlight too. Like Holt Renfrew was collaborating with Tokyo Smoke, which is a cannabis brand. So when I saw that, I did a double take and was kind of surprised. So um, did you know about a strategic partnership or direction like this was going? Because it, like with the photos, it looks like it's kind of well done and you visited it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Holt Renfrew partnered with Tokyo Smoke, which is a cannabis company. Um, they opened a little shop. Uh, I think it's just open till after Christmas. Uh, at Well, there's two of them. There's one at Holt Renfrew at Yorkdale Shopping Center in Toronto, and there's one at uh, Holt Renfrew in Vancouver. And uh, yeah, we got yesterday I got to check out the one uh, at Yorkdale because I'm in Toronto this week. I'll be in Vancouver next week. And, um, you know, it's interesting. It's, it's a full little shop. You kind of... you can't see into the shop from the rest of the store because they have this kind of an oval thing blocking it with you know rounded door and it, it looks really cool and um i think i think on the door it says have have a nice trip i think it is and you can yeah. go in and <laughs> they've got you know different products that uh, actually look quite upscaled you know they're cannabis themed products like uh things you and i don't maybe don't know the terminology but um things that you can use to grind and and things that you can put your cannabis into and i think devices that you can consume cannabis with i think that's what they were <laughs> yeah. to be honest this is not my area of expertise but it was just kind of interesting to see this because in the united states i know that neiman marcus um had partnered with a cannabis company uh, uh you know to open a shop and store and uh, barney's new york had done something similar i believe mm -hmm. in beverly hills oh i know that tokyo smoke is also owned by the canopy growth corporation which we had a, a article back in june about their cross canada strategy for expanding but um, is the entrance into this fashion vertical um, kind of a departure or on strategy for what they were telling us back then? 
since I know I think well, the location that you visited is also close to a location that they opened up on Young Street that seems to be kind of really close. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure, Tokyo Smoke is opening stores around the country, or mm-hmm. at least it will be as they can get licensing. Uh, this, to me, came a bit out of left field. I didn't think Holt Renfrew would actually partner Go with this way. sort of thing. Uh, oh. um, just get given, you know, Holt Renfrew's current brand positioning, which is, you know, a very high-end, uh, you know, concession business. But uh, it, I think it was a really interesting addition uh, to the store. I don't think it diminishes Holt Renfrew as being a, a luxury no. retailer, but uh, I really, if you'd asked me to predict that that was going to be the case, I, I don't know if I would have actually said Tokyo Smoke's going to have a little shop at Holt Renfrew. Yeah. Well, me neither. But uh, with the recent news of Barney's New York in trouble, uh, I know that there's some sensitivity around some of these large luxury kind of multi-brand department stores. Um, so I was just wondering if this play with Tokyo Smoke is maybe a play to remain relevant or is there something else? You think? Um, I think it's fun to be you know to, to a degree i mean it, it's something that's it's different i mean cannabis has been legalized in canada um, I, I think it's just you know it's something that's interesting i mean the thing about cannabis is it's not just you know for cheech and chong <laughs> you yes. know it's uh, you know pe- real people use it like i've got family members they use cbd for you know things like arthritis and sore joints and whatnot that's the non-psychoactive component to cannabis again i'm not i'm not an expert in this area but you know thc is the one that can make a person high and then cbd does some other stuff so um it is kind of going to the mainstream and i I know that i've got neighbors in the yorkville area in toronto that do purchase from the local supplier uh legal supplier i should say uh on cumberland street and it it is becoming a little bit more mainstream i've even had a bit of trouble still (laughs) wrapping my head around that it's legal i I didn't know if it ever would be primarily Mm -hmm. my thought was because in in the united states it hasn't been fully legalized so um, getting over the border could be an issue, but nevertheless, it, you know, it, it happened last year, but over a year ago now, cannabis was legalized in Canada, and yeah. uh, you know, Holt Renfrew has kind of jumped on that bandwagon. So, and g- given the upscale nature of the product and and the environment, uh, I think it was pretty much on brand. Mm-hmm. Well, and other than Tokyo Smoke and Holt Renfrew in the brief, the only other topic that was notable was Nordstrom was collaborating with the brand Max Mara, which. Uh, quick search through our archive. I haven't really seen Max Mara pop up very often. So could you kind of elaborate a little bit on this for our listeners? Yeah, I mean, Nordstrom is uh, partnered with a lot of brands in Canada and uh, they just opened a Max Mara shop at the uh, Nordstrom store at CF uh, Toronto Eaton Centre in downtown Mm -hmm. Toronto. And it looks great because it's uh, actually, you know, a hard shop is what we call it. And, And what that means is it's got the brand it's it's basically like a little boutique in the store so it's not like just a little area with some shelves or some you know racks of clothing it actually looks like a max mara shop so you know it's got a nice interior with the fine carpeting and um you know millwork and and you know the whole shebang basically so um you know i, I mean that is good news it's a beautiful brand uh, jessica and i were in there looking at some of the clothing and uh, you know beautiful high quality stuff uh, but I have also noticed that, uh, you know, the Max Mara shop replaced a uh, Loewe shop, which had mm. closed. It was a women's Loewe ready-to-wear shop. And yeah, yeah. Um, I have noticed that at Nordstrom in downtown Toronto, a few brands seem to have left, actually quite a few. Um, they had an area called Space. I went to the opening in 2016, and it was a very, you know, kind of a very trendy, funky area. That's no longer at that store. There's still one up at Yorkdale, a space department. But mm. um, there was also a Lanvin boutique uh, that was upstairs there. I mean, I don't think Lanvin makes sense for that store in downtown Toronto, but it was there. And, uh, you know, it 
has since closed and I think it's become a personal shopping area. And then in the menswear department, um, you know, when they opened, they had a few high-end designers in there, a few Japanese ones and, and you know, suit makers. And they've pretty much reduced that down to, I think, Canali and then a uh, suit supply concession, which we'll be discussing in Retail Insider, I believe, next oh. week. And other than the brief, the third article that we wanted to be able to bring up for the podcast was a sports expert that was opening up in uh, in Quebec. Now, I was trying to remember which uh, location was it opening, which which oh, mall? Quatre Distron <laughs> in yeah, Broussard. What he Quebec. said, yes. <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, our, our correspondent in Montreal, Maxime Frechette, went and wrote the article and you could actually see when he was visiting it during the opening, um, some of his social media posts had him in their rain room getting hosed down and stuff like that. So it, was, it looks like a lot of fun. But uh, it for the location, it looks like it, it's the largest of their chain. I haven't really heard a lot about sport experts myself. So I was just wondering, could you like kind of fill us in a little bit about like the actual chain itself as well as the this location? Yeah, I mean, it's great. I believe it's the largest sports expert store in Canada. Sports expert mm. is kind of a sister chain to sport um sport check but uh they're franchised and they're primarily in quebec there are stores around the country but most of them you know are in quebec and they've created this large experiential store seventy-five thousand square feet uh uh you know shops for you know different brands uh very open concept we've got photos in the article it looks really great um and it kind of speaks to the whole experiential retail uh chic that you know we've been pretty much talking about this entire time here on this podcast so uh you know you can go in there and have an experience and i and you know people will probably shop as a result and and i think that's really smart but another reason why a store like this is uh, is a good thing to do is because of this incredible competition we're seeing right now uh you know decathlon has come in from uh, france it's the world's largest Goods store, and they're kind of like the IKEA of sports stores. So they're not the most expensive stuff. They may not be the highest quality, but um, they're making sports accessible to people in terms of you know a price point that many families that may not be affluent can afford. So uh, you know Decathlon, and they're going to expand across the country. I mean, um, I already know they're looking in Alberta, British Columbia. Um, they've announced a store in uh, Burlington, which is near Toronto. For those who don't know, um, you know. Uh, at the Maritimes, they've announced one for actually in Halifax. I guess Dartmouth, technically, I, I got yelled at when I called Dartmouth Halifax, even though no, I think yeah, it is yeah. technically now. But, um, you know, uh, kind of like when I called Hull uh, part of Ottawa, somebody, you know, was very offended was by that. you, well. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, you know, yeah, there's a lot of competition. I mean, if you look, you know, Mountain Equipment Co-op or MEC, I guess we would call it now, you know, they're expanding across the country. Um, you know, I shouldn't say Sport Check because they're sort of a sister company, but, um, you know, Sportium in Quebec is another large format uh, sports mm-hmm, retailer. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of these, you know, chains expanding around the country. And uh, so, you know, uh, sports experts really wants to maintain their market share and, and ideally gain it. Um, one of my questions ultimately, and probably it's not going to be an issue at this stage, but a lot of brands now are looking to actually just open their own stores and step away from uh, multi-brand retailers. So, uh, you know, say like a brand like Nike, I mean, they're opening stores and uh, yeah. will they stay in, you know, as a, in distribution with sports experts? Well, they probably should if they're going to have a really cool store like the one that uh, we ran this week in Retail Insider because it looks like a great space. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know if you remember back in the podcast we did for... Um, shoppers drug mart and they were bringing in the dental kind of component but you had asked about uh like where you could actually do the self-serve go stand and get your foot like assessed for inserts and stuff like that well when you take a look at the uh the sport experts article there's 
an actual photo of where you could actually go and get your foot molded and and mm. and tested for um, custom ski boots and stuff like that. So it looks like they're doing quite a bit of partnerships with the different um, suppliers and stuff like that. That may be exclusive to them, or at mm. least they're bringing it all under like one happy roof. So it's very exciting for the actual um, <clears throat> the chain itself because it's the largest and a lot of these partnerships and stuff. It's just bringing a lot of good stuff for the the marketplace there so congratulations and i'm excited to see how it unfolds and i think that's pretty much a wrap for the podcast craig so thanks for going through the popular content with me um, from the past week i uh, we just wanted to remind everyone that we do have an email newsletter that you can subscribe to that goes out every morning and it has links to our exclusive retail insider articles that you can get as well as a link to our curated Canadian news from around the web that we've curated from all the other retail news that has come out from the previous day. But if you go to retail-insider.com, you can subscribe and get the email coming to your inbox every morning. Now, thank you for listening to this podcast. Um, please do subscribe to it to be notified when new podcast episodes are published and to also help boost our discoverability ratings to help others find us too. But also rate us five stars if you think that we're five star worthy as well. So thanks everyone and uh, talk to you guys all next week. Thank you so much, everyone. Take care.